We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I'm once again joined by the great Sam Monson. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. He is PFF's lead NFL analyst. You can also find him on the PFF NFL podcast with, of course, PFF Steve. Sam, been an interesting week in the NFL. Packers pull off a crazy upset win uh, against the Saints after being down 17 nothing. But uh, more importantly, how the heck have you been? Been good. How about you? I've been doing great. Uh, I was at that game at Lambeau. So uh, definitely a, a roller coaster ride. I've been telling people all week the Packers started plus 30 in their first seven quarters, then went on a zero to 30 run against the Falcons and Saints, and then finished it off with an 18 nothing run of their own to come back with a win. So it's we kind of thought going into the season that this young Packers team with a lot of talent, but a lot of inexperience might have that sort of roller coaster effect. But we've seen that in a very distinct way so far to start this season. Yeah, and I think it makes sense. You're going to see a lot of inconsistency from this group, but there's definitely a lot of good there as well. Yeah, before we jump into everything else, I actually just want, because I know you've been on a few times now, but I haven't necessarily given you an opportunity or just to have the floor of just to kind of talk a little bit about PFF. I think sometimes PFF gets caught a little bit in the crosshairs. You guys are doing a lot of amazing work from an analytical standpoint. There's a ton of just tracking information that's amazing. But of course, everyone always wants to look at a grade specifically when there's a numerical grade attached to a player's name. It always seems to just kind of bring out thoughts and and provoke conversation, which I'm sure is part of the fun of that. But I'm sure there's a lot of times, too, where you're having even like we've done the past couple of weeks, you're having to defend a grade here or there. And there's like I said, it's always kind of caught in the crosshair. So just to give you kind of a second to have the floor of what PFF does, 
why it's important and what you know, how kind of fans should use those grades when they're given to players. Yeah, I mean, PFF is all about just more information, you know, across the board. We the grading is an attempt to quantify things that aren't there elsewhere. You know, even in this world of analytics and advanced stats, there are things that statistics don't capture, right? There are things that will not show up in any of these advanced numbers. And that's where grading has a chance to add in this context. And you hear a lot of the time people criticize grades for being subjective, right? I, I don't think that's a negative thing. I don't think subjectivity is this evil that we want to pull mm -hmm. back from. Subjectivity is where... The power of the grades lies because only in subjectivity can you actually determine whether a quarterback was pressured on a play or not, right? NGS has pressure data, but it's automated. It's done by tracking data and alignment of defender versus uh, offensive lineman and proximity to the quarterback. So if a defensive end beats the left tackle and he's past him and he's bearing down on the quarterback and he's within whatever their you know margin is, that says pressure within a certain time distance, it goes down as a pressure. It's a black and white algorithm. But if the quarterback is looking in the other direction and doesn't know it's coming, it's not pressure because the quarterback is not under pressure. He has no idea that he's about to get murdered. Now, if he holds onto the ball a beat, then he's going to know about it you know, quickly and it will turn into pressure as soon as he's decked from behind by that guy. But only by subjectivity can you look at that and go, no, that's not pressure because the quarterback never feels it. He's never aware that it happens. It's a subjective addition that adds context to data that wouldn't have it otherwise. So to me, that subjectivity is where the strength of the grading actually lies. And then everything else, it's just about quantifying things that didn't exist before or doing them better, right? We've I've had this argument a while that the sack, the way the NFL treats sacks is ridiculous, right? Half sacks shouldn't exist. And they only exist because the NFL wanted the box score to add up. They don't exist because they think it's qualitatively worse to arrive at the same time as somebody else. It's only half as good. They do it because if two guys get a sack, then you need that to, to have so that it adds up to one at the box score, right? That's literally the only reason that exists. So we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Let's give a guy credit for exactly the same play as one where somebody else got there and it was a solo sack. Um, the NFL double counts a bunch of numbers, right? A, an interception for the NFL is also a pass breakup. It's the same number. Uh, a sack is also a tackle for loss. It's also a hit. The same stat. So when you see people go, this defensive end had two sacks, three hits, four tackles for loss, like two of those are the same play three different times. We think yeah. that's ridiculous. So we don't do that. We don't double count those stats. Um, really, you know, that's that's all PFF is, is trying to create more information and more data and almost let people interpret that data how they want. And, and that's where we get into some trouble sometimes. No, but I, I love that. And I think a couple of things, it always amazes me because for every team, there's somebody who writes about the, the team and gives out a letter grade for like every position group after the game. And it's not like they're going back and watching the, every single player and every single play. It's just kind of a gut feel after the game was over. And like most of the time, nobody has any issue with those grades, just a blank letter grade overall encompassing what the like what, what the state of the offensive line was that game and maybe a little bit written about it. But nobody really cared. But it's like all of a sudden you put a number next to a player. And I don't know if it's because we grow up in a society where like your GPA matters from birth. I don't know what it is, but like that all of a sudden you get like these extreme takes like one way or the other. And what I always say is like 
my, my mom, bless her soul, uh, not the most uh, football aficionado in the world. Like if she watched every single player on every single play for every yeah. single game for years upon years, you're going to pick up on some things. And it's not to say that it's a perfect system. It's not to say that there isn't, like you said, subjectivity and human bias and all of those sort of things that go into it. But there's still going to be a lot of really great information that comes from that. And if you do it long enough over a period of time, you're still going to be able to trend things out, which I think has a ton of value. So um, I never quite understand the, you know, if, if people get frustrated with like that's part of the process is the conversation, the subjectivity. And like you said, I don't think we need to erase that from uh, from the process. And not even, you know, just going, not even the length of time and the information and the experience anybody has doing it, but simply going back and quantifying every single play, I think has a ton of value. Like one of the reasons I think where, one of the reasons why those people that you mentioned who do the kind of gut memory type yep. of instant reaction grade, one of the reasons they don't get pushback is because generally that's the same way everyone else is going to see it. Because your brain kind of acts as a, a mental highlight reel, right? It, it, remembers the five good plays or remembers a couple of bad plays and everything else it just kind of throws out as eh, whatever, you know, it didn't really count. Didn't make an impact. What we're doing is quantifying every single one of those middle plays. And if 25 of them all bounce slightly the same direction, positive or negative, that's going to change the outcome of the grade or the thing that you don't remember, like the, the pass thrown straight to a linebacker that was dropped. So it doesn't show up as a pick that happened. It was bad. And it's going to get recorded as a really negative grade. But a lot of people are not even going to remember that play because technically it didn't count, right? It was an almost play. It was, but that's what the grading is capturing. So I would say most of the time where people really disagree with a grade, it's because you said you're not thinking of every single, you're not thinking of 57 snaps. You're thinking of seven, right? And the, yeah. the, the, a lot of the difference is the other 50. I think uh, Royce Newman and John Runyon Jr. are such great examples for the Packers this week because you look at the Packers' offensive line on the whole, they didn't allow a ton of pressures. Now the run blocking, not great. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But like I know and we, I, I'm sure you guys too, I think you had two of your lowest grades for this week were on Newman and Runyon for the offense. Same when I did it. And people are like, well, but the offensive line played so good. It's like, well, you didn't see Royce Newman get blasted in like a millisecond a couple of times where Jordan Love got rid of the ball right away and Runyon really struggled in the running game. And it's like, to your point, you see Jordan Love having time the majority of the time. You're just like, well, the offensive line as a whole played well. It's like some players did, some players didn't, and there's nuance to that. So, right. um, yeah, that's what I love about it, and it, it just creates good conjecture, and I'm always happy to have those conversations with people as well. That brings us, however, to a really fun uh, conversation. So I know one of the things that got caught in the cross uh, fires this week, crosshairs this week was – Jordan Love, and specifically that 30, you tweeted out, 31.5% uh, of his throws so far have been uncatchable. So before we even dive into that further, I think it's probably important to define what you guys define as uncatchable in this situation and also sort of go over a context standpoint of like what's normal for a quarterback. Yeah, so it's this is our ball location accuracy charting data. You know, it's not... Um, that's that's where it comes from which is a different sort of system or different process to the the regular grading or the, the the original um tape that gets done it's an all 22 process that takes place after the fact and it's literally designed to chart how accurate quarterbacks are in terms of ball location not just did you complete the pass but did you put it in stride out in front of him where you're supposed to be exactly those kinds of things and they fall into a a few different categories. There's accurate, you know, was it generally speaking where it needed to be accurate plus, which is perfect location, you know, that out in front of them, exactly head height, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then we have catchable, but inaccurate. So the, did it uh, prevent yards after the catch? Cause it was thrown slightly behind him. Technically it's an accurate pass, probably a completed pass, but it was inaccurate, right? It wasn't exactly where it needed, to, where it should have been and potentially hampered yards after the catch or other things because of that. And then there's uncatchable, inaccurate pass. Um, so that's the sort of final bucket. Now, one thing that's different about that than a lot of people expect is you can have an inaccurate, uncatchable pass because it was broken up by a defender, right? That's the reason it was uncatchable is because you threw it in a way that it had to get past a defender or through a defender in order to be catchable in the first place. Like had nobody been there on defense, it would have been perfectly catchable. Probably would have hit the receiver in his head. But once you put a linebacker and a defensive back in between, now it's no longer catchable because it has to get through multiple defenders. And if you don't get that, you know, if you don't put it through that window, it's not a catchable pass. So I think that's where some of the confusion comes. But it's not like it's a stretch. Right? Like if we look at Jordan Love's numbers, the completion percentage is bad. The adjusted completion percentage is bad when we strip out drops and throwaways and all those kinds of things. He has an adjusted completion rate, I think, of 59%, which is terrible. I mean, uh, the better quarterbacks in the NFL are over 80%. So it does sort of tally with what we expect from Jordan Love. And in particular, I, I think he's been getting a bit better in this regard. But the week, the Chicago game was like a train wreck in terms of um, inaccurate passes. There's eight, nine, 10 of them in that game alone right. where he was just inaccurate with the football. Yeah, I think we've definitely seen part of that. I think we saw it in training camp. We saw it in preseason and it's definitely something that's continued to, to kind of carry over. And I think from a Packer fan standpoint, even from a Packer lens, I think what the majority of people have been seeing and saying is like the baseline is there. You're seeing really good pocket awareness. You're seeing mobility. You're seeing him go through progressions. You're seeing him overall make fairly good decisions. A couple throws here or there that certainly he'd like to have back. And you're seeing some really big highlight level plays, but you, what you want to see more of is hitting the layups. The M Luke Musgrave throw this week is a phenomenal example of that, of right. Musgrave coming wide open over the middle. And there's been kind of a handful of those every single game where if he just hits those, now you're really cooking with gas. And I think to your point and to your tweet, whatever the percentage is, if all of a sudden that 31.5% uncatchable rate comes down to a more average level now look the heck out because that baseline's there, the high-level play is there, and now you're completing the passes that are available to be completed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it. Enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean shaven look, but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day? I know you are. That's why we've partnered with Manscaped. The brand for below the waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir. Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new handyman electric face shaver. It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Make sure to join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Head over to manscaped.com and use code PACKADAY for 20% off and free shipping. You may have noticed my recently cleanly shaved face over on the YouTube channel and that perfect shave was brought to you by Manscaped's Handyman. The best part is I was able to get the exact shave I wanted without any of the usual mess of traditional shavers. I've also used their signature Beard Hedger, which is a juggernaut of fixing faces. You can trim your beard to 20 different lengths all in one guard. So using this thing is amazing and basically it's perfect. No matter what tool you use, you can't go wrong with Manscaped's line of products. Right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code packaday at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code packaday. That's P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y, no hyphens. Hit that refresh button with the handyman. It's finally football season, which means... It's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's in a bad place right now. It's the worst in the NFL, but it's a small sample size, right? It's three games. And as you say, if he moves that from being the worst in the NFL to just somewhere in the middle, that's a huge piece of additional uh, production that is now being added to this offense. 
Now, you mentioned it, it has been three games, just kind of what you've seen and just kind of charting it out. Do you feel like this is more of an outlier for Jordan? Do you feel like maybe getting a Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, those guys sort of back can help with that? Or, and I know it's such a small sample size that we have for Jordan overall, or does this kind of feel like maybe more of a, you know, uh, an issue moving forward for Jordan as well. And it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think it, I think it will end up being both right. Like accuracy, anything a quarterback does in terms of throwing the ball is influenced by the players he's throwing to. It's impossible to strip that out. And whether it's the actual ball location or whether it's simply the passes that he's attempting because the receivers are more or less open, it's impossible to remove the influence of the receivers from what the quarterback is doing. So getting a better receiver, getting a Christian Watson back into the lineup will change how Jordan Love is throwing the football who and the margin for error potentially that he's throwing that he has when he throws it. So I think Christian Watson coming back will help that number no matter what happens. Um I also think he's probably going to be a relatively inaccurate passer you know in the NFL like relative to some other quarterbacks He's probably not going to be the worst in the NFL, but I would imagine given what we've seen from his college tape, given what we've seen from him in the NFL, he's going to skew towards being one of the more inaccurate quarterbacks in the league. And then it's just a case of where that number ends up. Like, I think he'll also end up being a, a vaguely volatile quarterback as well. A lot of big plays, a lot of, um, you know, uh, mistakes with the ball. And again, I think that's sort of being borne out as well. Maybe he won't, maybe he'll clean it all up and he'll end up looking like a superstar, but my instinct would be based off what we've seen from him in college and what we've seen so far, he'll end up being a guy that has higher, um, a higher rate of kind of big mistakes than, than a lot of other quarterbacks and is a little bit more inaccurate than a lot of other quarterbacks, but it's probably also going to have a higher, you know, big time play rate, big, big throw rate, that kind of thing. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe green Bay and Jordan love is one of the top quarterbacks in um, you know, attempts uh air yard like air yards per attempt like they're depth throwing target, on the yeah, yeah highest average depth of target in the nfl yeah so obviously the the further the depth of target the more opportunity there is for inaccuracy as well so yes they're going they're kind of going big game hunting too through these first few weeks which again doesn't necessarily have full accident forgiveness for being inaccurate on some of those again the luke musgrave won a phenomenal example but sometimes again when there are deeper throws down the field there is going to be a higher level of inaccuracy from time to time Absolutely. Like the generally speaking, the more uh, aggressive you are at the ball, the harder it is to complete those passes. But it doesn't actually, if you adjust for depth of target, it doesn't actually change the story for Jordan Love so far this season. Like he's been relatively inaccurate on underneath things as well. Um, yeah. So it wouldn't, it doesn't explain that, right? This isn't a product of the average depth of target thing, but it's definitely, that's definitely a factor anytime you're, you're talking about accuracy. And correct me if I'm wrong here too, but I believe like uh, an average PFF grade, if like there's nothing descript on the plays, like a 60.0, is that correct? So yeah, more yeah. or less, it's slightly different by position, but generally speaking, you sort of start at a 60 and then move up or down relative to how well or badly you're playing. Yeah. So Jordan through three games so far, 62.5, 65.9 and 63.9. So above average ish 22nd out of 32 eligible quarterbacks we've been going over this but super small sample size i think jalen hurts is right there around him i think i think there was another maybe joe burrow i think there's one other like really high name quarterback right around him as well but that's why it's so early in the season it's so hard hard to really gauge exactly where some of these quarterbacks are but 22 out of 32 that you know like that kind of sounds about right for the way jordan's played through three games so far 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, look, the, the number one task or the question that was to be answered by Jordan Love and the Packers heading into the season is, can he even play, right? Like, do we even have a quarterback? And then let's figure out now, what we, can we do with this guy? And I think Matt LaFleur has been playing or has been calling a game in, in a really impressive way. I think he's done a great job with that offense. I think the young receivers have looked pretty good, even without Christian Watson in the lineup. So I think we're seeing the pieces there for this group to, to get better and grow as the season goes on and to gel and become something a lot better than they are right now. It's, you know, week going into week four with an incredibly inexperienced and uh, a group that lacks, you know, cohesion or time playing with each other. I, I think all the reasons are there for this team to be optimistic looking at this offense. Could not agree more. I want to talk to you about something on the positive side of things from PFF's grades, and that's the offensive line grade. So uh, Packers, I believe, are the top graded pro football focus offensive line through three weeks so far. Um, and then this is another one I kind of wanted to dig into a little because from a pass blocking side of things, I think it's looked really freaking good for Green Bay. From a run blocking side of things, maybe not so much. So how is that sort of, um, you know, just gauged when maybe the run blocking hasn't been quite as good? The pass blocking has been really good, but you have them graded so far as the, the top offensive lineman and offensive line in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, they're two, you know, independent processes, effectively independent parts of the game. Um, and then it's really a case of how you weight those two things. You know, how much, how valuable is the passing game, is the pass blocking relative to that run blocking? And I think in today's NFL, you have to value pass blocking more, you know. So if you are an incredibly good offensive line when it comes to pass protection, running game isn't as good, you still have a pretty good shot of, of ranking highly. But if all you can do is run block, if you're a road grading, you know, run blocking offensive line, but you basically can't drop back to pass because they hemorrhage pressure, you're unlikely to be high in the rankings because that's such a huge part of today's game, even if you're a dominant run blocking force. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And we thought Green Bay going into the season was going to have some depth along the offensive line if needed. Well, they've needed it so far. Bakhtiari only played in one game. Elton Jenkins only played in a game and a half. It sounds like he's going to miss additional time. Zach Tom is questionable for this upcoming week. So, uh, but they've been able to fill in uh, specifically Rashid Walker. We've seen a little bit of Royce Newman, which has been a little hit and miss per usual. We might need to see some Yash Nyman this week, dependent upon who's available, but that offensive line depth for green Bay has paid off pretty big so far. Yeah, it does. They they've had, um, I think they have one of the better benches in the NFL when it comes to offensive linemen, generally speaking, there isn't depth throughout the league. And when teams have to go into the bench and bring in backups, it's, it's hugely problematic. I, I don't think it is for green Bay. I think they can go into that bench and, and ask guys to get significant starting time and they're still fine. So a couple of guys I wanted to ask you, about. I always like asking about the highest graded players. Now on offense, there wasn't really a high graded player. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon in his one snap, had a pretty solid grade for his uh, end around slash reverse, but uh, the top graded offensive player outside of Nixon's one snap was Romeo Dobbs with a 73.8. And then the top graded defensive player was Rudy Ford with an 88.2. Um, really liked Rudy in this game. I thought he tackled really well, played aggressive brand of football. Safety has been a little bit better than advertised so far with Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford. I think Packer fans, myself included, thought that this was going to be one of the weakest safety rooms in the NFL. And so far, those two have held up pretty darn well. But thoughts on uh, Dobbs and Ford grading well this week? Yeah, Ford had a really nice game, made a few uh, very nice reads and, and plays closing on running backs out of the backfield in particular. He had two or three of those that was really nice, um, had a nice pass breakup in there as well. And a really good uh, deep free safety play where um, I, it was a broken play, quarterback sort of scrambling out into to the open field. He understood 
you know, that he's got to keep getting depth, keep getting depth as a receiver on the far side of the field. And you never know when the quarterback's going to take that shot. Right. And he was smart enough to keep getting depth, figure out where that guy was and then be in a better position than the, the receiver to actually make a play on the ball and break it up. So just a really nice free safety play that, that highlighted awareness as well as ball skills and all those kinds of things. I thought Dobbs had a really good game. Um, yeah. You watch him run routes. He's always open. He gets separation really well with a lot of ease. Occasionally sort of doesn't maximize, I think, the route. He had a couple of double moves where he sort of ran into a guy rather than just blew past him and actually got the separation. But the the slot fade double move was a spectacular catch over his shoulder. Uh, eventually brings in one of those end zone fades as well that they went like three times to him. Um, and, and could have potentially had a touchdown earlier, but I thought that was a really good game by Dobbs. I was impressed by him in, in that. He had a really fun one too. I think Ben Fennell uh, posted the video of it, but uh, he was on Marshall Lattimore. It was the one where uh, Romeo Dobbs rolled out and kind of dropped sidearm a little bit. And he kind of threw a little bit almost like underneath of where Romeo was, but Romeo on that play just had an awesome route against Marshawn and just gained easy, easy separation on the play. Um, and that was a really fun one from him too. But he seems to be getting better week by week. And it's fun to see uh, to me of all the players on this offense that are still unique sort of to Jordan. And they're still trying to get that chemistry. It seems like Romeo and, and Jordan have developed the chemistry a little bit quicker than maybe some of those other receivers defensively. I wanted to ask you about one other player and that was Rashawn Gary. Again, this is a easy, what you were kind of mentioning earlier of you see the, you remember the three big plays. You remember the three sacks, of course, People see three sacks, and I think they're immediately going to think, you know, especially when he only plays 23 snaps, all right, he's going to be graded in the 90s. He had a 77.8 grade for you. Um, by the way, Adam graded very similarly. I thought he had a really nice plays on the three, but he had a couple other pressures, but not super impactful on some of the other snaps. But um, reasoning for the grade on 77.8 for Gary on this one. Yeah, I mean, the first point is that's a really good grade, right? Like the yes. only the question is the way you phrase it, which is what's stopping him from getting to 90, which is, you know, yep. that elite unstoppable point. Like the other thing is as much as he did have a small sample size of snaps, almost all of them were pass rushes. So, you know, had he played 23 snaps, but it had been like 10 run plays, 15, you know, that kind of thing. Now you're talking like an absurd pass production profile, uh, pass rushing production profile. But when it's 20 pass rushing snaps, that's actually a pretty healthy sample size of pass rushes. Um, so, you know, that's that's part of it. And then you start looking at the sacks. There's one was a dominant play. Beautiful. Yep. No, no question about that whatsoever. Another one, I, he's going to lose a little bit of grade because basically fell off the sack. And then Derek Carr just like fell over anyway. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he, he literally kind of got around, grabbed hold of him and, and slipped off the sack. And then Derek Carr... I don't know if he was like bracing for the contact, like assuming he's going to get taken down and then didn't and just kind of lost his balance and stumbled over. But effectively that could have been, it could have been a missed, you know, sack entirely and pressure and he'd have gotten credit for it, but wasn't the sort of finishing play that you want to see from him. Um, and then the second one I think was a, a sort of slightly longer developing play as well, where Carr needs to get rid of the ball. And this was not just, Gary, somebody else had pressure as well on the play. He's he's stopped initially, wins with the second move, and then the ball just stays there and, and ends up getting eaten. So it's not that he's getting downgraded for those. Like obviously those are not negative plays; they're both positive, but they weren't as high a grade as it could have been had he immediately finished that first sack. Had he won with the first move and Derek Carr not held on to the ball longer than he should have, 
And that's really the difference between the really good grade that he had and grading at 90 plus where you're, you know, an unstoppable force all game. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I, I promise you there's going to be somebody in the comments that says a sack is a sack is a sack. And it, it just isn't like if you win in like a millisecond and just get around your guy and immediately blast the quarterback and win with dominance, that is a huge difference than if it's a four or five second play, the coverage holds up on the back end and you eventually get to the quarterback. Or like you said, it's another, if you explode to the quarterback, make that play, take him to the ground. And obviously the one play knocked car out of the game. And it's another, if like you say, you fall off the sack and then the quarterback kind of falls over, there's an opportunity for him to escape. So again, we go back to that subjectivity. Not all sacks are created equal. A sack right. is not a sack is not a sack. And they do have to have some different level of value dependent upon what the player actually did on the play. Yeah. And it's a difference between grading, you know, how good was a player and how good were the results of what the player did, right? Like a guy can get, you know, five, six sacks in a game without actually doing anything particularly impressive. If every single one of them was somebody else making the play first and you just kind of cleaning it up, right. And being actually being blocked at the line, but grabbing the quarterback when somebody else flushes him past you, your results could be spectacular. You could literally have the best pass rushing game of all time in terms of sack rate, in terms of impact for the offense, but you didn't do anything special. Somebody else, the guy driving the quarterback towards you the entire time was spectacular. You just got incredible results. Um, and the flip side of that is, and we get this a lot with cer certain other pass rushers, you can have an incredible pass rushing game. You can be beating your tackle like a drum every single play but if the ball's out instantly every time, you know, you're, you're not going to get a sack. There, the yeah. quarterback can get the ball out of his hand before you can get to him. And there's nothing you can do about that. Um, and if that's the reality, you can end up with You've done your job fantastically, but you've got no results to show for it. Um, so the grading is always specifically designed to pick up something slightly differently. You know, if we were just looking for who had the best pass rushing results, we don't need to watch the tape for that, right? There's a box score. We can just pull up the sacks and the pressures. We can add it all up. You can assign whatever weighting you want to it in terms of like which has the most effect in EPA per play, the biggest negative force on the offense. And we can just spit that out. But that doesn't tell you who played better or not, which is what the grading is designed to do. Packer fan favorite Kyler Fackrell had a game like that once where he ended up with like three or four sacks against Seattle and didn't work super hard uh, for some of those sacks on the day. So yeah, there's definitely a difference from time to time before we get you out of here. Just want to ask you quickly about the lions. Uh, they have a 79.9 overall grade from you. PFF's six highest graded team in the NFL, the second highest graded offense, Sam Laporta, their rookie tight end, 80.7 grade. He's playing some really good football. And then of course, Aiden Hutchinson on the other side with an 82.6 grade. Uh, anything in particular that you're watching for and just seeing from this lions team so far? I mean, I think they're a good team. Um, they did a really good defensive job on that uh, Atlanta team as well, lo locking up Bijan Robinson, making sure he didn't have anywhere to go. Their offense we've seen now for at least a year has been a very, very productive, difficult-to-stop kind of unit. Um, the one question you have about Detroit really is if Aiden Hutchinson isn't able to win or if you're able to take him away, who else have they got to make those plays up front? And that's, I think, where they're falling down at the moment is they they don't quite have that extra second, third pass rusher. Um, and they don't do enough of, of making sure that you can't take away Aiden Hutchinson. So it's the sort of one weakness in that uh, defensive front. But overall, I think they're a very good team. As we look ahead to Thursday Night Football, Packers-Lions, any keys to this game that you're seeing as uh, these two you know, teams kind of compete for the uh, top of the NFC North at the moment? 
I mean, that's one, right? Is is take away Aiden Hutchinson. He he's tied for the league lead right now with 19 pressures, but they don't have that secondary source. You know, if you can dedicate extra resources to him, chip him, stop him being one-on-one, make sure he's not individually generating a ton of pressure. I think you very you, you very much blunt the impact that that defense can have. Um, and then the Packers have their work cut out to slow down that Lions offense like everybody does. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson had a really big impact in that week 18 game against the Packers last year that eliminated the Packers from the playoff. The hour and a half before kickoff when the inactives are announced, I feel like it's a huge difference if they have Bakhtiari and Zach Tom, if they're going with Rashid Walker and Yash Nyman. We'll see. Maybe it's some mixture of uh, of the two and maybe one's in, one's out. But I think that's going to have a huge impact on just being able to try and delimit Aiden Hutchinson in this game as well. Really looking forward to this one. Sam, you are always amazing. I can't wait to talk to you next week and break down Packers-Lions as well as look ahead to Packers and uh, Raiders moving forward. So that should be a fun one as well. Before we get out of here, tell everyone where we can find your work, what you're working on, and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, just the uh, the PFF NFL podcast, either on YouTube or wherever else you get your podcast in audio form. You can find him at PFF underscore Sam. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for Sam and I, but until next time, and as always, go Paco. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.